And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good to see you, Paul. Uh, before I bring the message, several things I just want to highlight and uh, join TJ in welcoming Senator Loeffler and her husband, Jeff. We're glad to have you with us, Jeff. Glad you're both here. Thank you for, thank you for standing for the life of the unborn. Amen. Amen. I want to highlight what T.J. said about the lunch on the 13th. You know, before COVID, we used to have that on a regular basis for people to be introduced to apostles and at least give you a look at who we are, what we believe, and give you an opportunity if you want to join. So please sign up for that lunch and come and join us. We will be appropriately spaced. And now talking about appropriately spaced, I know you heard about this piece a uh, treaty between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. And as many of you know, I was preaching there last fall in the United Arab Emirates and met with some of the members of the royal family. And, and I'm so glad to hear that. And we're going to have a privilege to hear more about that on October 4th. That's Sunday, October 4th. Mark your calendars. We're going to have Secretary Mike Pompeo with us here at church. He, it, will be, it will be in the evening, but you need to mark because you know the spacing that we're doing now, and if it's going to be, uh, as more people come, they're going to end up, if they're not here early, will end up in the overflows on both sides of the building. So you mark your calendar. It will not be streamed, and so come and hear this great man whom I admire and love very much. He's uh, going to be the guest of Leading the Way, and he's going to be speaking here on Sunday night. Be an open door. Father, your psalmist David said, Make the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray, Father, that you order my words and you order my thoughts so that they'll be honoring to you, that people will see Jesus, not a weak man, for I pray that in his name, amen and amen and amen. You know, recently, some of you know this, we were in Cape Cod visiting with our eldest daughter and her family. And as we were walking one of these days uh, in the Chatham area, we came across a magnificent lighthouse. Um, I've always been fascinated by lighthouses uh, somehow for some reason. And so uh, we stopped, and we wanted to see that magnificent lighthouse on the hill, and we began to read the plaque that was written there, large plaque, and, and it tells about the history of this particular lighthouse set on a hill. And it goes all the way back almost to the time of the settlers. Uh, but the most amazing thing to read about that white house, lighthouse is that how many ships that that lighthouse had rescued from certain destruction, how many lives that saved from certain death. And I believe with all my heart that this, what the Lord Jesus Christ had in mind after the Beatitudes which we looked at uh, when he said, Blessed are you who are broken in spirit, 
Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you who exercise mercy. Blessed, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, blessed, and then reach the zenith of those beatitudes. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he immediately turns and says, you who have climbed that mount of beatitudes are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We saw in the last message the incalculable value of salt back then. And this was a, a big shock to the disciples who are very coming from modest workers and fishermen to be told that they are, have incalculable value, just like salt was at that time. And today we're going to turn our attention to the splendor of light, of being the light of the world, something we forget very often. But like a a lighthouse that guides those who are caught in the storms of life, like a lighthouse that rescues the perishing, like a lighthouse that guides to Christ, like a lighthouse pointing people to a safe harbor. And so please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16, just three verses, and in the Pew Bible, page 15, or one, if you don't have your own Bible with you, Matthew 5. We're continuing in this series. We began last message, appropriating, appropriating the happiness that is in you. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives to, to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Be seated, please. Many years ago, I read a story uh, that appeared in the Naval Institute magazine. And I sort of tucked it away, and I've been fond of telling that story ever since. And it's a story about a battleship uh, that was maneuvering its way in a very dark <laughs> and foggy night. And the light co coordinates uh, reported to the captain that their ship seemed to be uh, on course for a collision course with another ship the light of which at a distance. The captain immediately gave orders to the signal to ship, the signal the other ship and to say to them, please turn 20 degrees north. Well, the return signal came and said, uh, it is advisable for you to change course 20 degrees the captain of the battleship immediately signaled back, and he said, I am Captain Smith of YXZ battleship. Change course 20 degrees now. The response came back, I am seaman second class, so-and-so, and you better change your course 20 degrees 
By that time, the captain was furious. I mean, who does this second class, seaman second class think he is? How dare he talk to me, the captain of a battleship, in that way? And he yelled at his light coordinates, and he said to him, Give, send them the following message. I am battleship XYZ. Change course 20 degrees immediately. I'm ordering you. Came the reply. I cannot change course. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> Beloved, the lighthouse does not normally talk. It simply shines a light. A lighthouse often does not beat drums, but the light is always a welcoming sight to a lost mariner. But shining it must. Shining, it must. It is light, and the light of that lighthouse must be seen. It must be seen <laughs> in order to be effective. Jesus said, let your light shine that it all may see it. Now, before I get carried away, I want to give you three things that you, those of you taking notes, you can write them down. Three things that our Lord Jesus Christ is telling us about being light. First of all, He's telling us that light must be visible. It must be visible. Secondly, He's saying light has to be guide, a guide, has to guide. Thirdly, light issues a warning, a warning. The last one is going to be a hard one, but I'm going to get to it in a minute. First of all, light is visible. It has to be visible, or otherwise it's useless. Our Lord is saying that His faithful disciples are to fulfill a dual role. Listen carefully. Fulfill a dual role, not one or the other, both. Salt, which is hidden, but light is visible. Salt works quietly and even secretly, but light works openly. Salt works within. Light works without. Salt, which is indirectly influences, but light directly leads. Salt, which works through our living of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and light, which works through our direct witness for Jesus Christ. Salt, which works negatively, meaning it retard corruption, as we saw in the last message. It retard corruption, but not change it. But light works positively. It reveals and replaces the wrong. And that is why a battery, a battery has to have the positive and the negative. You can't have a battery just with the positive. So all these Poor misguided preachers who preach the power of positive thinking. They miss out on half of the gospel. <laughs> because the gospel is both positive and negative. Repent. That's negative. Why? Positive. That you may be forgiven and restored. And I can go through the Scripture the whole morning. <laughs> but I, I, want to, I want to show you this. It is vitally important to understand that there's a negative side, there's a positive side. And that's why the gospel 
is only good news for those who receive it. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, your light has to shine. It has to shine. Your light has to be visible. Your light should lead others to Christ. Your light should expose the error and lead to the truth. Now, a person who says, my faith is very private. It's dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. It is not faith of Jesus, and it's not faith in Jesus. I don't know what kind of faith they have, because everybody now talks about faith, faith, this, faith-based, faith, this. Have faith in your mother-in-law. Have faith in, you know, <laughs> faith, faith, faith. The faith of Jesus has to be visible. Uh, question, where should your light shine? In the church? No. Jesus said, you are the light of what? Not, the, not of the church. You are the light of the world. Your light has to shine in the marketplace. Your light has to shine in the factory floor. Your light has to shine in the boardroom. Your light has to shine in your office. Your light has to shine on your college or high school campus. Your light has to shine at your work. Your light has to shine, shine even in the golf course. Wherever you go, there goes the light. Amen? Wherever you go, you are the light. Secondly, light guides. It guides. When you're lost in the darkness, <laughs> any light, no matter how faint it may be, any light is a welcome sight. You would directly aim for that light. Why? Because light indicates that some help is possible. Uh, some life is possible. Some guidance is possible. Some direction is possible. I never forget, in the 80s, I used to travel a great deal. In fact, on an annual basis, I used to give a lecture um, in Switzerland uh, near the, the Dijoux Mountains, uh, very close to the border with France, on the French side. And uh, we always stayed in Lausanne, and I drove up to these mountains. They have no street lights on those mountains, not one. And one night, I was traveling in the dark. Now, I have driven that road many, many, many times. I'm there every year, and I, I know it. But always in the daytime. This is the first time I'm driving at night. And these are very narrow streets. <laughs> very, we could call them street. But they're very, and, and, and it's on a cliff. Literally, the wheels are inches away from a, a, a 2,000 foot drop. And after going around and around and around in the darkness, I'm almost running out of gas. And then all of a sudden, I see a faint light at the distance, and I gunned for that light. <laughs> Light guides, listen to me. When your walk with Christ is openly visible, people are going to ask you questions. They will. I'm not saying all of them, but some will. Why are you so peaceful when everybody else is fearful? 
Why are you contented when everybody else seems to be discontented? Why are you not fretting when everybody else is? Why are you not anxious and worried when ev- like everybody else? Why are you not uh, cheating on, on, on your employer like everybody else? Why are you so scrupulously honest and truthful? Ah, then you tell them, who did it? Are you surprised that Jesus was always plagued with questions? They're always asking him questions, always asking him questions. His blazing integrity caused them to ask questions. Why? Because that's what light does. Light causes questions. Jesus, the light of the world. And when you are in Jesus, you too be the light of the world. You know, when people see you, as a person who is not hateful and revengeful, but loving and forgiving, when they see you not jealous and envious and covetous, but joyful and giving, when people see you not short-tempered and angry, but peaceful, at peace with yourself and at peace with God, they're going to ask questions. And then... This is your greatest opportunity to tell them who changed you. To tell them who changed you. Do you know why? Because whether you know it or not, whether you know it or not, these folks are wondering in their mind and asking themselves, can I too cease from being angry and selfish and fretful? Can I, can I too have that peace that doesn't make sense and contentment in life. Jesus said, when people see all of this, when they see you and they see your shining light, they're going to glorify your Father in heaven. One of the way they glorify God is that they they want to know Jesus, and you're going to help them. There's a story about a godly preacher. You never heard of him, I'm sure. He was contemporary of John Wesley, And yet everybody knows John Wesley. Very few people know John Fletcher. John Fletcher was renowned as a godly man, a man of God. He was renowned for shining the light of Christ. One Sunday morning, a man was walking in the village, and his neighbor asked him, he said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to see John Fletcher. And so a few hours later, as he was coming back, the same man asked him, he said, have you seen, did you see John Fletcher? And the man thought for a long time, and then he said, No, I saw Christ and Him crucified. You see, that's why Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2.2, he said, I am determined to see nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. As a matter of fact, Voltaire, who was anti-Christian, as most of you know, uh, when he was asked once, Have you ever met someone who was so godly that you may have been persuaded to become a Christian? He said, yes. I met a man by the name of John Fletcher once. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fantastic? Now, I've got to confess to you, I always come clean with you. (laughs) There's some areas in my life I'm not very proud of and cause me grief and keep me constantly in prayer because I want to shine in every area of my life. (laughs) Um, 
and I, I, I want the light of Christ to shine, but chief among those areas is my terrible driving habits. <laughs> I know Nick Ayers over there. He tells a lot of stories about me. They're all true. <laughs> As a matter of fact, back in the 70s when we lived in Sydney, Australia, as an Anglican clergyman, I used to wear a clerical collar. And uh, with my driving habit, that used to be a restraint. Or I must admit, sometimes I forget, but when my dear wife is sitting next to me, and I'm about to kind of do, you know, lead foot and like, thank God I'm in the process of being sanctified. But <laughs> and she would say to me, remember, you're wearing your clerical collar. <laughs> it's a complete change. It's a complete change, right? <laughs> but it's nothing. Clerical color is nothing in comparison of being a light of Christ, a light of the world. Being the light of the world, therefore, I must serve in every area of my life, every area of my life, as a guide to guide people out of darkness into His marvelous light. I don't know about you, but this puts me on my knees constantly, constantly. My desire and my longing to be a light of Christ, a light to the world, keeps me on my knees, not just in my desire to be faithful in interpreting the Word of God and not read into it what I want to read into it, but faithfully open the Word of God, tell you what it says, not what I think of it, and not just in my witnessing power to lead people to Christ, but in every aspect of my life. Why? Because light is visible. Light guides. Thirdly, light warns. It warns. Light often reveals to us danger ahead, danger ahead. This is probably the most difficult task for the light. Can I get an amen? You've experienced it in your families. You've experienced it at work. You experience it everywhere you go. This is one of the most difficult things. It really is. Why do I say this? Because human nature, the way it is, people don't like to be warned. They really don't. They don't want to, confront, to be confronted by the truth. They don't want to be confronted with the truth. Instead, they want to do their thing. Uh, they want to do what they want to do. Uh, they want to do things their way. Uh, they want to make up their own religion. <laughs> they want to create a God who agrees with them. They want to live the way they think they should live, not how the Word of God tells them to live. And yet, when Jesus was born, at the birth of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that the people who sat in darkness saw a great light. The Apostle John goes on to expound on this in the Gospel of John. He said, the light has come into the world, but people preferred to stay in darkness. Listen to me. Only those who receive Him become the children of light. Can I get an amen? In fact, that's the only division you can have in your head. 
It's the only division. We've been divided now in our culture. There's a call identity this and identity policy. Identity. But listen, there's only one identity. Either you're a child of light or child of darkness. The whole world is divided that way. From every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every language, the world is divided between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. And even the children of light, they can only keep their light shining and be brighter as they walk closely to the light of the world. Now, beloved, listen to me, listen. Here's a fact. The closer you walk with Jesus, the brighter your light will shine. The shinier your light will be. But listen, do not be surprised. You heard it here. (laughs) Do not be surprised. When many of those who sit in darkness feel threatened by your light, don't be surprised. Some will ask questions, and we must be ready to give an answer, but some will not. I don't know, I'm telling you a lot about my life today, which I don't normally do, but uh, one summer in Sydney, early 70s, when I was going through college, uh, one summer I worked as a driver, professional driver. Can you believe that? (laughs) I think I caused a lot of repentance in my car. It's like the, the two people who went to heaven, you know, the minister and a, and a New York bus driver. And when they got to heaven, the angel gave the minister a very small shack, but then he gave the New York bus driver a mansion. And when the minister complained, he said, listen, when you preach, people went to sleep. But when he drove the bus, he caused them to repent. <laughs> But I, I was driving in a specific area. Those of you who know Sydney will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a notorious area, well-known in Sydney, where a lot of nefarious things take place. And I, I would be driving and coming into a dark alley, and, and the light of my car would shine in that dark alley. And, and whether the person is about to hit someone or the, doing a drug dealing or whatever it is, as soon as they see the light of my car, they literally f- f- fled. They, they, they escape. They run. They run. They scatter like jackrabbits. Why? They did not want their deeds exposed. By the same token, some of those who are lost will be thankful for the light. And they will ask you, how can I get there? So don't be surprised by those who reject your light. Rejoice with those who will see it as a God. In John chapter 3, you know some of those liberal preachers who always want to quote one part of the verse, never quote the rest of it? Here's a verse they quote in John 3. For God sent His Son not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And they stop. They stop there. They don't go and read the rest of it where it says, this is the condemnation. Hey, there are condemn- there's condemnation. Yep, there is condemnation. There's judgment coming. This is condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. 
John is saying the reason that some people, some people do not heed the warning of the light that you and I are to be is because their deeds will be exposed and reproved, and they don't like that at all. They don't like it one bit. So don't be surprised when some reject your light. I know and you know that light can be irritating, right? Light can be irritating to some. Most of you who read my books know that there was a period in my life when I lived in rebellion against God. So those of you who are parents of prodigals or children of prodigals who have prodigals in your life, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because in that time of rebellion, I am absolutely convinced it was some people, particularly my older sister, on their knees praying for me. But during that time, I detested church people. I really did. I mean, I detested preachers and teachers and Sunday school teachers. I just detested them. I detested anyone who thought they're going to have to lead me back to Christ. I just detested them. Godly people not only irritated me, <laughs> I hid from them. I literally, I literally run away when I see them coming. Maybe that's why today I'm a little bit more sympathetic and pray for those who see me as an irritant. How many of you know that other people see me as an irritant? <laughs> Listen, I have seen them walk out of this place for all the last 33 years. I see them walking out in anger. One of them, thank God, later on came to Christ and gave her testimony right here. <clears throat> Don't ever forget, the Word of God tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, for you once, can you say the word once with me? For you once were darkness, but now <clears throat> your light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I was thinking about being irritated by the light, and I thought of a story I heard as a young man growing up in the Middle East. A story of a nomad who woke up in the middle of the night in his tent feeling hungry. So he let out a candle by his mat and reached for a bag of dates, and he started eating those dates. He took a bite from the first date, and then he put it close to the candlelight, and there is a worm wiggling. So he tossed it out. He got a second one. And he took a bite. Puts it close to the light of the candle. His worm wiggling. So he tossed it out. And he did this with the third and the fourth one. And then he stopped himself and said, Now wait a minute. If I'm going to have all these dates thrown out, I'm still hungry. 
What do I do? Listen to his logic. He blew out the candle and ate the dates. <laughs> Worms and all. There are some who will see warning light as a threat, so they run away from it. They would rather blow out the candle and eat the worms instead of facing the truth about their dreadful eternity with unquenchable fire and undying worms. So they blow out the light because it offends them. Light does not only expose darkness, but it points a way out of darkness. Now, beloved, hear me right, please. Knowledge will not get you to heaven. Political action will not get you to heaven. International diplomacy will not get you to heaven. Only Jesus will get you to heaven. But having said that, as I repeat again from last message, I thank God for those who stand in the arena of all these areas. I told you in the last message that one of the biggest mistakes believers have made is that they withdrew from different arenas in society. They withdrew from the media. They withdrew from academia. They withdrew from political scene. They withdrew from educational scene, and they abandoned these arenas to the secularists. And that's why we're in the mess we're in. We need light. As long as we know. Amen. Give God praise. Give God praise. As long as we know that only Jesus will get you to heaven. Because our world is desperately in need of light in every area of life, every arena the shine of the shining light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in every area in our society. Believers need to be constantly filling their lamps with the oil of the Holy Spirit so they keep on shining brighter for Christ. Now I can give you one more warning about the light. There are some who thinks that being light is best accomplished as being a flashlight, flashing it right in people's eyes. They really do. Uh, who, who, I mean, I'm sure you know, that blinds them, right? Our light must never be displayed in anger, but in love. Our light must not be displayed in volatile reactions, but in compassion. Our light must not be displayed in revenge, but in thoughtfulness. If you want to be like the light, the light of the, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, we must have compassion. We must have compassion. We must do it. Listen, you, you've been hearing me, those of you who've been hearing long, long enough to know that I have never preached on hell without weeping publicly. I grieve over those people who do not surrender their life to Jesus Christ or end up in Christless eternity. We must have compassion for those who are in darkness. 
The Bible said Jesus saw them as sheep without shepherd, and he had compassion on them. There may be some here today, or those millions of people watching around the world on Kingdom Sat or in many of the platforms. And I thank God for all these opportunities for millions of people watching us live in Australia and in the Middle East and North Africa, all over in Europe. There may be somebody here or somebody watching out of curiosity who would say, Michael, I really have resisted the light of Christ for a long time. I've resisted the light that my neighbors or my family members have been trying to, to lead me and guide me to Christ. I've been resisting it for years. If that is you, today you can come to the light of the world and that you take heed of his loving warning and warm invitation. He's inviting you. Come to Jesus. For he has his arms wide open. Repent. Turn to him. Repent of your religious dogma because your religion will never get you to heaven. Accept Christ as your only Savior and Lord. You will experience nothing but joy and peace in the midst of difficult difficulties that this world is throwing at us when you choose Christ, and then you'll spend eternity with Him in heaven. I believe with all my heart the reason you're watching, and I thank God that He has privileged us to be in 196 countries, heard 14,000 times a week, 26 languages. And if you're watching right now, it's an indication that God loves you. He really loves you. And that is why he wanted you to hear this message. It's an indication that God is reaching out to you and say, will you come to me? Would you come to me? I'm ready to forgive you when you repent. I'm going to ask that every eye is closed and every head is bowed as we come to the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. This is a holy moment. This is the moment like a surgeon just about cut and beginning to operate. The Holy Spirit is the surgeon here. And whether you are in this room or anywhere around the world, and you say, I want to repent, I want to turn, I want to accept the light now, would you raise your hand? I'm sure I won't be able to see everybody, but I'll see it here in this room, but not over there where you're all watching. But God can. God will see. But if in this room, just raise your hand so I can pray for you. I pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you're the searcher of our hearts. You know our motives better than we even know our own motives. You know our thoughts before we think them. And so I lift up to you every precious person who have raised their hands or even... They didn't raise their hand, but deep down, they want to turn to you. I pray in the power of Jesus' blood that was shed on Calvary and through the strength of the Holy Spirit that they will be empowered and strengthened to keep walking with you and be light 
as they are transformed from darkness, that they be themselves the light of the world, just like you transformed our lives. And Father, we thank you. We praise you, we worship you, and we adore you. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Let's stand and sing together.